0: See that young bird on its high branch that squawks? It's like a child that learns to walk as it walks. And parking lots too.
1: (laughs) Did I throw that in there?
0: Yeah. So, uh, hey everyone, welcome back to Sola Scene. Today's episode, as I just described in that petite poem, Mm -hmm. we're talking about parking lots, we're talking about experiential learning in degrowth, and we're also going to touch a little bit about the history of the degrowth movement. Because we've done eight, seven episodes on this now and we haven't really talked about its origins. Yes. We've kind of talked about our origins coming to it. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely some parallels between our discovery of degrowth and its formation as a concept. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's time to give some credit where credit's due. Yes. Instead of pretending that we're inventing all this. (laughs) So, one of our questions from last week, which was just a little bit of a wrapping up uh, Mm -hmm. research section, I guess, or brainstorming, was... What should we do with parking lots in the degrowth world, especially where it comes to changing infrastructure to be more walkable? Mm-hmm. We have these giant, usually very big footprints of asphalt mm-hmm. with their sweet, sweet geometry painted on. Yes. And if cars are going to be greatly reduced in the de- degrowth world, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. what should we do with these spaces? So did you have any ideas?
1: I had four ideas. Okay. I will bring my first one, which is different than anything we talked about last week, which was sports facilities.
0: Ooh, outdoor, indoor? indoor? Outdoor. Okay.
1: So the good thing about having asphalt is that you could turn it into a tennis court very easily. That's true. You could turn it into a little soccer field. Basketball. Basketball, skating, like have a skating rink or for roller skating or
0: skateboarding. That's true.
1: Yeah. And I figured not just saying, okay, you can now use these for sports, like, Really make doing it up nice so that there's people who will be employed by the sports facility yeah. for upkeep and so on. And obviously providing some shade so that the asphalt wouldn't be emitting all the heat and trapping all the heat like it does. Yeah. So it'd be a very beautified space, but still utilizing the concrete so you don't have to dig it all up.
0: I like that. I like that you went with that because that has some, some lead into our question for later about... Mm-hmm. Um, groups that children should partake in outside of school and home Mm -hmm. that being organized sport and I also like that you went with something emphasizing the multi-use nature of it Mm -hmm. parking lots are so huge that it doesn't really make sense for oh this one's going to be this one thing yeah and I also really like multi-use places in general I think they're fun like this could be Mm -hmm. primarily a sports place but you said there's a little rink for skating Mm -hmm. and there could just be seats picnic tables
1: well, like a park.
0: Yeah, a park, essentially.
1: Yeah, there's a park near us, which I took inspiration from, Park Jerry which is just huge. Yeah. And it has every sports facility known to man. It's green, though. It's green. Yeah, and that's kind of where I took the inspiration from. Like, it's flat. It doesn't have a bunch of dimension, but it is green, and it's cool, and it's nice.
0: Because it's such a wide open space. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I guess we can just go one for one. Mm-hmm. My first idea was markets.
1: Hey, I was excited <laughs> to share that. I should have shared it first. I,
0: I know this is... This is a this is a popular idea, um, mm-hmm. especially I found in COVID. I found an article online mm-hmm. about how we can repurpose parking lots during the pandemic when people mm-hmm. weren't driving so much and socially distanced farmers markets was on the list. Mm-hmm. So I think that just makes sense. But I had a, a kind of a, a twist on it, mm-hmm. which is that some places could be, because I was thinking if we're going without roads so much and driving, mm-hmm. what about all those food trucks? mm mm-hmm they could just be permanent, permanently stationed and it could be like an outdoor food court. I like that. That's a that's a cool idea, right?
1: Yeah. And the good thing about like relating it to COVID is the open air nature of it. Yeah. Like you're not going to catch as many germs if you're outside.
0: I mean, I don't think we should plan for the pandemic.
1: <laughs> it's true. But
0: yeah, that, that is a good point, I guess.
1: Yeah. And the fun thing about markets, I always like going to them, is because you always have the people who buy their lunch and then they're kind of picnicking in the market or the people who... Maybe have a bit of a farm-to-table sort of situation Mm -hmm. within the market. The good thing about how huge parking lots are, you could literally have some people growing and selling all in the same little space. And
0: it's kind of ironic because it will be in front of what used to be a Walmart. Yeah. So that's a funny idea. Yeah.
1: And in the ideal world, the Walmart would either be torn down or perhaps the indoor could also be converted to like an all-seasons market or something like
0: that. Mm. (laughs) Ooh.
1: Love it. (laughs) That's an interesting lead-in to my next one, which we talked about last week, but I thought it was worthwhile to mention again. Just these spaces could be gardens.
0: Of course, yeah. Like
1: for farming, parks. I think I've seen even in my like tiny community where I come from, tiny lots being converted into those, what are they called? Like the above ground beds yes, for yes. growing vegetables. But I like when it's multi-use. So I imagine being a bit of a park slash farm so you're allowed to roam but there's also things growing and that really facilitates community because if you just have like a really disparate community and then you put one of these public farms in the middle it's just gonna get trampled people are gonna come and throw tomatoes at each other in the middle of the night yeah so you need to really when you put these in place also encourage community either through paying people perhaps to tend it or holding public events in the park People need to have a sense of, this is ours, like a sense of ownership, not just, oh, the government added this nice little block of, yeah. like, then you're just kind of irritated by it. Of course, yeah. So really connecting with the people to address local issues with this.
0: And this is obviously um, including the process of depaving. paving mm-hmm. I mean, I know you talked about above ground beds, but for parks and gardens in general, we want to be ripping up some of that heat trapping or heat reflecting asphalt, as you said. Mm-hmm. And... I'm just going to add on wild areas as part of that because there's so many mm-hmm. parking lots, Yeah, we just had some be like crazy patch,
1: yeah, patch. Just... I think
0: that's kind of fun. Also, we didn't really emphasize this point last week, we kind of touched on it when we talked about how many parking spots there are, mm-hmm. but it's not just the fact that each city has X amount of land, which is for parking. It's the fact that it's all premium uh, location. Like it's all very well placed in the middle of communities because that's where people want to park. Mm -hmm. People want it to be convenient. So it's not as if there's these acres of parking spots that are out of the way or on the Mm -hmm. outskirts. They're usually right in the middle of venues Mm -hmm. or hubs of community already.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Which is rather crazy. I also thought of going along with the sport idea, skate parks, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: playgrounds, outdoor gyms Mm -hmm. would be kind of fun. I'm not really sure how that would work, but outdoor gyms.
1: Well, there's some parking which is either underground yeah. or those, like, stacked ones.
0: Yeah, I was I had a separate idea for those kind of indoor parking. Okay. But I just thought, I was thinking about Splatoon,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that video game where you're painting ink on all the really dull surfaces from a from previous...
1: Civilization?
0: Yeah, urban civilization. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we got to Splatoon this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think in Splatoon there's a skate park, so... Yeah. Skate park.
1: Skate park. Fun.
0: For the indoor places... I was kind of struggling for that, actually, because I was like, no one really wants to live underground where there's no windows All work there. But I thought underground warehouses, mm-hmm. something I read online was data centers, because I guess those are just mm. full of servers. So they don't really like light and windows anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. If you want to live there or convert it into apartments or something, it's, it's rather brutalist, but I guess you could do that.
1: Yeah. That is a good lead in to my final one, which was housing. Which is something I didn't come up with on my own. I will not take credit for that. I was just looking into it and I was like, well, that makes a lot of sense. You just have these, as you said, super well-placed lots, which probably currently, due to zoning, have like, really low value or something because they're just zoned for cars. Yeah. But with some rezoning and a little bit of reworking, you could make affordable housing in really well-located places.
0: Yeah, I thought about that as well. And not just housing, but just buildings. mm mm-hmm. like, Things could just go there. Yeah. Which is the most simple solution. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Yeah. um, I had one other clump of ideas, which I guess I can put into one and just call transportation stations. Mm -hmm. So in this ideal world, of course, if we're going heavy with public transit, Mm -hmm. buses and trams and trains need places to stop. So Mm -hmm. these are typically well placed and have roads Mm -hmm. coming from them, so they make a lot of sense. And also we still need parking for emergency vehicles, bikes. If everyone's riding a bike, then the infrastructure that we have right now in Montreal for example wouldn't cut it then Mm -hmm. you need to expand that in some way and other vehicles and also last week you talked about just places to stop when you're walking Mm. or riding a bike that have water fountains maybe bathroom maybe a map Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a place to rest just this kind of multi-purpose I guess I'd call it a train station
1: Mm -hmm. I like that idea There's an organization which is working to depave, which is the name of the organization, A Bunch of America, and is actually leaked into Canada, which I appreciate. And when I was reading on their website about what they do, they basically depave. They take all the pavement out, then let the soil do its thing, and then it will... Is it called succession? When it then rewilds, basically. But one thing that I just didn't even cross my mind with parking lots is that they just make a bunch of water just like drain into sewers yeah. instead of into the soil to feed the plants and so on. So these guys have diverted 2.4 million gallon million gallons of water from like the sewers. And it's like, that's such a something you don't even think about how much water is wasted just going directly into sewers instead of going down into below ground aquifers and stuff. Mm. So that's such a, Sad thing, but a positive thing if we start to depave a bit more.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of this idea that the maximum efficiency way of organizing society and infrastructure and building is to mimic as close as possible how the natural world does things, mm-hmm. because that had billions of years of evolution towards efficiency. Yes. Like nothing that we build will, will keep as much water and use it for as good reasons as that, for the most part.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, yeah, let the, let the world do its thing. Yes. Don't, don't pave paradise. Oh. I think that's um, that's a good way of wrapping up just our just our small little conclusion to maybe our degrowth transportation uh, discussion.
1: As you mentioned when I talked about sports facilities, we also want to talk about how kids can learn things outside of home and school because there really is a third realm, which is activities.
0: Yeah, extracurriculars. I think we call them today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that takes kind of an academic. Uh, basis even even that word so yeah
1: and when you think extracurriculars you always think of the things that are paid like you think of ballet lessons sporting it's clubs true, and often
0: school affiliated mm-hmm. we're talking about getting the school out of the affiliation yeah not entirely but a little bit
1: yeah and a lot of these things that we're going to talk about kind of we're talking about the ideal degrown grown world so in that society parents wouldn't be working as much so they could get their kids to these activities or the community would rally together to get the kids to these activities. Because right now it's kind of hard to get kids out every evening or whatever, because people work, kids can't drive, kids can't access things right now, but in the ideal world, they could bike to them. So that's a disclaimer I wanted to mention.
0: Yeah. I had a few disclaimers, the walkability that you just mentioned being one of them or the, Mm -hmm. the more reachable closeness of things Mm -hmm. Um, kind of a, erodes a little bit that absolute boundary that we have right now between home life and social life, Mm -hmm. at least for kids. Yeah. For kids who can't drive, that is just a firm boundary.
1: Mm
0: I am either at home or I'll be at school tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of, that's what it is. So yeah, I just wanted to answer this question before we talked about the groups that students could, or that kids could be in to become students, I suppose, um, which is why will degrowth enable more of these groups?
1: Yeah, that's a great place to start.
0: So the walkability was one of them. Another one I thought was less internet, mm-hmm. which is where a lot of this community, especially for young people, I think has fled to. Mm-hmm. And I don't think like internet communities where you're talking to someone from Asia about your favorite video game are bad necessarily. I think they're better than nothing, which is mm-hmm. seems to be the alternative for most kids today and most adults indeed also. But it's also not real socialization. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we need to keep at the front of our minds. Like it's it's not real, it's mm-hmm. virtual. It's the who's in the word. Also, more time and energy for kids as well as for their parents, which is kind of what you just uh, alluded mm-hmm. to, because work and school will be less draining. Yes. And the the final reason I thought of, which is um, kind of the central reason why degrowth, quote unquote, enables more groups like this or encourages them, is because degrowth actually requires it. Like these things to mm-hmm. me are degrowth even more than walkable infrastructure and mm. changing economics and uh, consumption. It's this type of community, which is the the basis of all those mm-hmm. those other effects. And I guess another way of putting this is that we tend to occupy or try to occupy kids' time with things which are, in a sense, preparation for their adult lives. Mm-hmm. So right now it's like kids do a lot of menial education, spend a lot of time online, spend a lot of time by themselves, either working or doing some kind of personal recreation or improvement because that's how we envision adulthood being spent for most of them. Mm-hmm. In degrowth, clubs and real life skills will be more valuable as adults mm-hmm. so it makes sense that kids would spend more time learning them.
1: Yeah, That's an excellent preface because it's sometimes hard. We've been talking about education to relate it to degrowth but now it's coming full circle in my mind at least. Yeah,
0: full circle. Yeah, And um, you also just just said it with The description of ballet or sports teams and things which are paid Mm -hmm. versus maybe more unstructured group settings or unstructured uh, experiences. I kind of uh, split that up when I was doing my research and brainstorming into, I just called it structured groups and unstructured groups. Mm -hmm. Structured groups, self-evident again, would be things like sports teams, lessons, maybe bands, art clubs some kind of work, depending on what age the Mm -hmm. kid is, they might be like 16, and what people tend to call extracurriculars in general. And you're right that Mm -hmm. these are usually paid and often school-affiliated. And doing research on these and their engagement over time, it's rather difficult for me to track, oh, kids are doing much less of this or doing much more of this because Mm -hmm. it's like the whole discussion over extracurriculars has really been uh, overwhelmed by covid Like, that's kind of what all Mm -hmm. the news and all the research is about. Yeah. Which makes sense. But uh, it's maybe not the most relevant for our discussion. Mm -hmm. But for unstructured groups, I think it's a lot easier to say, and I'm calling this... It looks different for different generations, but I'm just calling this time when kids are together, kind of governing themselves without supervision and structure. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the 50s or something, on the 80s, that used to be in Mm malls or on the streets. Yeah. Or in the playground. I mean, there's also like a skate park, things like that. There's different mm-hmm. contextual ones. Yeah. I think this especially has been a real casualty of the modern time, the like atomization of the individual and our uncommunity like infrastructure. And of course the internet.
1: Yeah. I mean, everyone's heard their parents or their grandparents say, when I was a kid and be out on the streets till 1am, my parents would have to drag me home. Yeah. It's like, now kids are at home from, Three until well, yeah. school the next for day. A for a lot of kids, part. it's like, if
0: I was on the street till 1am, I'd maybe just be reaching my friend's house.
1: Yeah. Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to walk there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think this, this unstructured group is maybe what I want to talk about a little bit more. Be- okay. Because this is the thing that has, I think, been most severely affected by the internet. Mm-hmm. Like people call the internet a Wild West, but it's like, that's what <laughs> the real world used to be like for kids. Yeah, for sure. Kind of. And this is a really important space because this is where kids learn, I would say, leadership, agency, Mm -hmm. problem solving. I would say some form of diplomacy. Oh, there's some issue like, oh, this kid thinks that he took uh," Mm
1: -hmm. or that
0: someone else took his, I don't know what kids have, sandwich. Yeah. Things like that. Um,
1: Yeah. Kids also gain confidence when they're given autonomy over their own choices. Yeah. Like In school, kids don't have much choice right now. It's more like they're like, oh, I got to choose this project. I have a lot of like autonomy and confidence, and I'm really proud of this. Kids aren't proud of anything anymore.
0: It's <laughs> true, because everything's kind of dictated for them, I would say. Yeah. I remember the Disney cartoon Recess, mm-hmm. where it was really depicted in, in a funny way, using cliches and uh, like references and really over-the-top sequences, the Wild West that... The playground could be yeah during lunchtime mm-hmm. did you watch that show yeah i did uh, <laughs>
1: yeah there was like the the snitch and there was like yeah, the governing yeah. like body of people yeah, who would make there decisions was king
0: bob who sat yeah. on top of the jungle gym and there were the kindergartners <laughs> who were like feral yeah. creatures <laughs> all fenced in and there were the two who were always digging mm-hmm. there was the girl who was on the swings yeah and it's like it does a really good job of uh of depicting how big the playground seems when you're a kid mm-hmm. and i remember when i was young Maybe up until I was probably 12. Yeah. That's what the playground was for me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what lunchtime was. And then I actually feel like um, the way that lunch hours in school, I know we we're trying to talk outside of school settings, but lunchtime is kind of outside of school mm-hmm. setting, even though you're, you're restricted to the grounds. Yeah, I think when you hit about 12, that's when that starts to fade away a little bit. Mm-hmm. And perhaps when other settings should start to provide that freedom for the kids.
1: Yes, I see what you mean one of my first things that I was thinking of for ways kids can learn outside of home and school is also kind of in this murky ground of like, it's not explicitly outside of home or school, but it was with the idea of playdates. I feel Mm. like maybe kids don't have as many playdates as they used to. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like when, when I was a kid, you'd just always be out for the most part, or like I would always be at other people's houses. And I was that like, old soul of a child <laughs> who would always hang out with the adults. But I was reflecting on this and I only really drew from my own experience. And I was like, these playdates, I would always like sit and talk with their parents. And I remember one of my friend's parents taught me a ton about just like... Stocks? No. <laughs> about the... He was a what, a forest ranger. Okay. Taught me a bunch about trees. And I was like, cool, trees. And I remember another one of my friend's dad's was like super into jokes. So he'd always teach you jokes, but he would also... Was into geography so like that's basically where i learned geography we'd always we'd have supper with them and their t- table what is it called tablecloth yep. was a globe mm. so they'd when they were eating supper they'd like pick a place and you'd have to like try and name it the quickest oh wow there was like so all my different friends their parents always had these different niches
0: they were just different characters in your life you mean yeah you and the then obviously
1: the friends but also because they were raised differently, they had different lived experiences, you learn a bunch from them. That you can't really learn as much in school from them because you're all usually talking about school related things. But when you go over to their house on the weekend or in the evening, they're like, hey, let me show you my um, train collection. Then you learn a bunch about trains. Or this kids really into a specific type of dance? I remember one of my friends taught me that, like some Highland dance moves. And I was like, this is so cool.
0: It's true. I, I do yeah. think, I mean, you said um, you're not sure if this is actually the case. I'm aware that we probably sound like we're just shooting in the dark on everything. Statistically, this is our yeah. this is our most like uh, boomerish episode. Where but we just both talking. have
1: younger siblings.
0: It's true, but that's still anecdotal entirely. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine it makes sense that parents are taking their kids less to play dates because they're working more. Yeah. And not just like parents are working more, but both parents are always working mm-hmm. more, which, is, uh, which doesn't leave much of a ride for the kids. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think play dates are important from a young age.
1: It's also where you learn to problem solve. I remember at sleepovers, there would always be a fight. And the parents would always just be like, work it out yourselves, I don't care. And then we'd always have to work it out ourselves or else you're stuck sleeping over at this person's house and you're all angry at each other.
0: But that was the key, though, working out yourselves. Yeah. Do you think there were any other... Can you think of any other Wild Wests that you were in as a kid that Mm. were like that?
1: Camps. Summer camps were the Wild West. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I can imagine because even the supervisors there aren't old right
1: no they're they're like basically four to six years older than you (laughs) and it's just like they don't care they're just there for fun to hang with their friends so basically it's just a learning experience of you have to get yourself cleaned up on your own you have to get to the meals on time or else Mm -hmm. without luck
0: so how do we bring these kind of unstructured environments back to kids Hmm. I think a lot of it is like the genies out the bottle with the internet. I think there's Mm -hmm. kind of, I was thinking about this the other day. It might be too big of a topic to just mention casually here, but it's kind of like as a society, we've gone through a second enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Um, This one being about distrust and um, I would say borderline dislike for Mm -hmm. our fellow human. Yes. To the point where now, obviously the parents would say, like you said, that there's that cliche about I used to be on the street until one, Mm -hmm. but now after that they would say, but there's no way you're doing that. Yes, because exactly. Because we have such an awareness now about crime, mm-hmm. kidnapping, human trafficking, all these... I mean, the, the Snickers bar that's full of, like, razor blades during Halloween is, is a good example. Yes. I think the, the Facebook meme has kind of killed a lot of uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these opportunities for kids.
1: Yeah, but I think the solution lies in just...
0: I don't really know the solution about how we reverse our consciousness behind that.
1: But I think it's just... When you actually know your neighbor, know the kids' parents that your kids are going to school with, you know the counselors at the camp, you're going to have a bit more trust. I guess. And there's also the kids being too cool for school because of the internet. Everyone grows up way faster than they used to. Hmm. So I was a camp counselor since I was 12. So I literally have about eight years of experience. I'm going to speak from that experience of my first year at the camp had like 100 kids. My last year there were 20 kids. So oh, it's yeah. literally just a decline. And it wasn't the parents being like, I don't really want to send my kids mm. to camp. It was the kids being like, I don't want to go to camp. That's lame. And it's like as simple as that almost. I think kids are just like, ew, I don't want to go hang with a bunch of snotty kids. And I can hang out with my cool friends online That's or what whatever. We, yeah,
0: that, that might be accurate. <laughs> Ignoring the, you know, the irony that they are themselves of course. a kid. <laughs> yes. That's but they true. don't see
1: themselves as kids, I don't think. Mm. Or they do, but not the way that kids used to be.
0: Well, I would say kids used to maybe not see themselves so much.
1: Yeah, like but It's kids not even kids. how they
0: saw themselves. It's the fact that they didn't think about mm-hmm. themselves so much. Yeah. Let alone what they were
1: mm-hmm. or who
0: they were. You know, that, that used to be a point of adolescence exclusively, mm-hmm. I would think. But yeah, you're right that that, that age might be uh, might be getting younger.
1: Mm-hmm. Another idea I had, which it's sort of as a club, sort of as unstructured, is volunteering or community involvement. I used to have this like craving to be a volunteer. I wanted to like change the world, and that started from age four. I remember one of my friends; they were were basically going on this trip to like go and do some like community involvement, volunteering stuff. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's what I want to do when I grow up." <laughs> but my community was so disconnected that it was like the chances were rare.
0: No offense, but you sound like you practiced that story. I practiced for, that for if story? you get famous or something, you can always go back. Yeah, it actually started when I was four. I remember I uh, <laughs> you know when musicians always say, Yeah, I was three months old and I was just playing uh, a yeah. clarinet on the piano and it's just
1: But that that's basically <laughs> that's my thing. Like everybody has their thing, but volunteering is my thing. Sure. So I thought of an example that I could use for kind of a degrowth volunteering thing. But basically we had this fire hall, every community has a fire hall, and usually they have a space that they rent out for weddings or family reunions, and my grandmother would volunteer doing the food for those like catering so from a very young age I was like volunteering with her she basically she was babysitting me but I'd come along and I was like okay yeah you're volunteering you're giving back to your community super degrowth thing but I also that's where I learned how to bake a pie and that's where I learned how to make coffee in one of those big coffee machines oh yeah that's how I learned how to cater which I've never done yeah. since but <laughs> I like if I was a waiter I could say, I waited tables, basically. It's true. And you have a lot of little skills that you learn because it's kind of an intergenerational space. Like, you don't have just a group of kids volunteering.
0: You're right. The diversity yeah. certainly provides a lot of different opportunities.
1: Yeah, and it also encourages kids to care about their place.
0: Yeah, and their elders. Yeah. That's actually a really good point about the, the diversity of age mm-hmm. because in school, everyone's your age. Yeah. So, you yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, and I think volunteering is kind of the space for that to happen. So, yeah, you're, like, giving back personal development, but also learning new skills, because I've volunteered in soup kitchens, I've volunteered with, like, kids' literacy programs, and it was always you are collaborating with the teachers, or you're collaborating with the adults in those situations who are teaching you how to do these things, but you're also collaborating with the people you're helping. So, like, you're when I did the literacy programs, I remember I'd talk to kids who were, like, in grade two or whatever, and then sometimes when you're at the store, they'd be like, hey, I remember you. And then you like know these random kids in your community and you like (laughs) build trust and care for each other. And I think it's a lost art. And like, I feel like kids have that innate desire to help. Mm. And we just need to give them opportunities to to, do so.
0: to feel useful. Yeah. I would say it's not just kids either.
1: Yeah, certainly. It's
0: it's a a mess alienation, I would Mm -hmm. say. (laughs) Most people don't feel useful at all. Yeah. Or or have a purpose. Mm -hmm. So speaking of that kind of uh, generational nihilism, I wanted to take some time out of today's episode to talk about the spongeweed, which is um, a really fun type of seaweed. I'm going to show you an image. That's the organism of the week this week. I'll show (laughs) you the picture. You can describe it to the audience. Here you go.
1: So this plant looks like an upside down rosemary plant.
0: Okay. (laughs) It has,
1: but it looks like it's made out of wax. Oh, it is green.
0: Yeah. It's green. Seaweed.
1: Yeah. Seaweed. Spongy, but yeah, that's how I'd describe it. It's pretty basic. Just picture rosemary tilted upside down, made out of wax. That's how I'll just leave it for your imaginations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is the spongeweed, otherwise known as the velvet horn, Ooh. which I thought was a, you know, kind of looks like antlers a little bit. A little bit. Um, not really, though. The <laughs> Latin name is Codium tamentosum, and it's found mainly on rocks in lower shore areas in the UK and Ireland and other places in the Northeast Atlantic Ocean. I wanted to mention it because I learned about this actually aside outside of looking for an organism of the week, it found me, I would oh, say. Oh, wow. And the spongeweed has this symbiotic relationship. It's not unique in a seaweed that does that, but it has a symbiotic relationship with the sap-sucking sea slug, uh, which sounds like a SpongeBob. It does. <laughs> a SpongeBob <laughs> quote. The sap-sucking sea slug, which is that the chloroplasts from the seaweed... Mm-hmm remain intact for a while after they're ingested. So uh, inside the sea slug, they continue to synthesize sugars for them.
1: Oh, so that's really neat.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right?
1: Wow. Why um, can't we do that?
0: I wish we could. I wish we could. Because I have looked into it because I was like, what if I discovered something and this mm-hmm. could be the next superhero, a guy who accidentally eats this really rare type of seaweed and develops the ability to photosynthesize. photosynthesis. Wow. Um Apparently, this one is just a bit too mushy when you cook it, but it is edible. Mm. Okay. It is edible. It's also relatively invasive, so watch out for that. Yeah, Don't <laughs> let it in. <laughs> um, it's 30 centimeters long, and it has a texture, apparently, of felt due to being covered in tiny, colorless hairs.
1: Mm, that's interesting. Hence the
0: name spongeweed.
1: It doesn't, like, appear in the picture, but I guess if you touched it, you'd know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's also usually wet, so it mm. might be a bit spongier, usually. Hence yeah. the name spongeweed.
1: I like it. Big fan. Shame about it being invasive, but you know, win some, you lose some.
0: Yeah, we can't all be perfect.
1: My final unorganized place for children to learn, kind of obvious, but also lost art, the library.
0: Oh yeah, the library.
1: in movies, you always have the nerd who goes to the library and they learn about chess.
0: <laughs> and there are other nerds there.
1: There's other nerds there. Mm. But I think libraries could be cool. I've been I going to libraries cool. and I'm like, they have these cool spaces for like teens to hang out in. So I feel like...
0: Well, the point of libraries is supposed to be quiet. Maybe that's the issue.
1: But I think they could... They are cool. And we just need to, one, eradicate the laptops. (laughs) And two, yeah, make them welcoming and just, like, more known. Because, like, if a kid has a passion about dinosaurs, they could go on the internet and learn about it. But they're not going to meet many other kids in the community who care about dinosaurs. That's a really good point. But if they're all in the dinosaur section, you got a dinosaur club.
0: It's also a good symbol because... For all these unstructured places, we kind of uh, hinted that the place doesn't matter, mm-hmm. street, skate park, mall, whatever, as long as there's a place where kids are congregating. But maybe this is the solution. The way that you entice kids into these places is, can mm-hmm. be to build these places for them. I remember when we were in England, we were really fascinated by, of course, seeing um, the town where Shakespeare was from and all the sites in London and many other landmarks in the country. But we were most amazed by this chain of bowling places that had pool tables and cool team music playing and an arcade and hot dogs, Mm -hmm. and they were just all over the place. Yeah. And we were like, there's nothing like this in Canada. Yeah. (laughs) Which is crazy because it it doesn't require much.
1: Yeah. It's like a degrowth thing that when you're trying to create these systems, they shouldn't rely on these huge, like, resource-sucking new infrastructure. That's kind of why it's a bit more decentralized, like there's a bunch of these little clubs, but certainly some fun arcade centers would be... or
0: libraries like that, but for nerds. they'd go a long way. Now it's like there aren't many libraries. Yeah. So where are the nerds supposed to go? Where
1: are they supposed to go? If not Wikipedia. Mm -hmm.
0: Anyway, um, moving on to more structured groups and supervised organizations, Mm -hmm. which I wanted to make the point that these groups that we're about to talk about are... I think, increasingly being reserved for richer families, mm-hmm. that kind of unstructured learning, increasingly for poorer families. Like mm-hmm. I say, it's hard to find data on this because it mm-hmm. seems like every five years or every decade, there's some crisis about, say, kids in organized sports decreasing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to actually know what to believe. And uh, the numbers, aside from COVID and things like that, mm-hmm. because I'm sure maybe after the pandemic, there's going to be a giant boost in all these things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's difficult to talk about. But some degrowth related ones that I thought might be useful for the conversation mm-hmm. include like little groups exploring the, the built environment. So maybe okay. studying, oh, this local building was built by this person this time and exploring the building and things like that. Mm-hmm. I remember some towns have days when just like all the historic buildings are open, right? Yeah. And you can just go in there and there's maybe a tour guide and you'll explore them. Yeah. It would be like that, but a club. I like that. And you also get to see more of the city, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Because another thing we didn't mention, when there is this awful binary of school, home, and even Mm -hmm. for adults, work, home, not only do you only spend time in those two places, but you typically only track one path between them. Mm -hmm. And you don't really explore many places outside of that, or many many roads, even many routes. So there's that club. I thought another club, uh, learning all the local flora and fauna, so bird watching. Mm Counting. P- yeah. I don't know, things like that. Uh farming, of course, religious groups. This is one that's certainly is uh, well documented that the enrollment, I guess, participation for kids has gone way down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cleaning up streets. So I guess that's volunteering, like you said, mm-hmm. with the litter, graffiti, debate clubs.
1: Mm.
0: Why do I think this is degrowth specific? Because it's preparation for more involvement in local politics, I guess, and local yeah. decision-making in general. Upcycling, I thought that'd be a fun club.
1: Yeah, I was thinking like a knitting club, but not just knitting, like arts and crafts, basically. Yeah. Because those exist, but I feel like they're not very popular and not really accessible. But if just a group of community seniors got together and taught all their skills to a group of kids, the kids would love it.
0: Well, I don't know about that.
1: This week, the guy is going to teach you how to... Sew your socks. You want to know how to sew your socks? Kids would come home and they'd be like, look, I sewed my socks. And the parents would be like, bravo. I think
0: you're envisioning that all the kids will be like you.
1: Yeah, but in the ideal world, they would.
0: That's why it's important to have a variety. And I I also don't (laughs) think that maybe the more modern seeming clubs are all bad. Things like computer clubs or coding or robotics. I think that's actually maybe more important in a world where we want energy to be more decentralized. Mm -hmm. Solar panels in every apartment building and things like that. Yeah. Hey, mom, I've just built a wind turbine. Mm-hmm. A tiny one that we can put on the balcony of the apartment. Yeah. And it lights a light bulb. Yeah. Things like that. I think it's fun. Science clubs. And yeah, of, co- of course the pandemic has messed with these. But I think that most of the participation in these groups before the pandemic had at least gone slightly down. Like I, think I say, so. it's hard It's hard to quantify that. But I, I do think so. If only because more and more families, I think, are being priced out of it. I think so. I mean, lessons and sports clubs now are... Expensive,
1: yeah, and like girl guides and boy scouts used to be.
0: Oh, yeah, those have certainly gone down,
1: but they used to be just like everyone was in them, sort mm-hmm. of thing. But now I remember when I was like 16, I was like, I kind of want to do girl guides because you can start whenever. But then I looked into the pricing and I was like, this is not going a lot of cookies, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> sell a lot of cookies, and like it's a lot of work that goes into it outside of learning the skills that it was going to teach. So I think, like, a. You call it like whatever your city is. Montreal guides. Then you have all the kids. Yeah. Just some, like we could rejig some of the ones that already exist. I think ballet classes are very cool. And I wouldn't have exchanged my experience as a ballerina for the world. Because you learned about classical music. You learned French. You learned a bit about like nutrition and like body stuff. That's where I learned a lot of the like kind of seemingly dumb things that like I wouldn't have learned otherwise, mm. like how to treat a muscle injury I learned from ballet. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you probably learn stuff from soccer of like, oh, if you have a shin splint, this is what you do and so on. So just like important things about your body. I feel like those classes kind of help.
0: Also teach you a lot of trash talking. Yeah. I wanted to close this section by saying, of course, we're talking about education and that usually brings to mind kids, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't forget grown-ups. Yeah. For whom education shouldn't just stop.
1: Yeah, like I mean... We,
0: we consider it that it does. Because uh, I think that, that home work or home school, maybe just to... Because most kids hate school or most adults hate work. Yeah. i just say that home hell binary. Yes. I think that maybe even becomes more and more fixed and more defined the older you get. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe that can be something we talk about for next week. Yeah. How to free adults. How can degrowth free adults? I like that.
1: It's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of degrowth, when you start to look into degrowth, if you're interested in it, usually where you start, where all the books start is, here's what degrowth is. Here was where it came from. And as I think we mentioned in the very intro episode, degrowth is a collection of ideas. It's not like one theory. It's not like Marxism. It's not like even post-growth. It's a collection. Yeah. And so it's roots come usually from about the 19th century anti-industrialist movement is where it's purported to have started. The Luddites. The Luddites. Yeah. And then it also threads through until the 70s when the word was actually coined. But a couple of the other thinkers who you can kind of attribute to degrowth pre the 70s, the Stoics were probably degrowth. Yeah. Inspired Gandhi... Actually, a lot of his works are cited in degrowth literature as a primary source Hmm. because he advocated for being content with what you have.
0: I suppose, yeah. I often associate degrowth with intrinsically a response to industrialization, but it it Mm -hmm. really is at its core any thinker who uh, proposed that well-being should be prioritized over profit is essentially some kind of advocate for yeah, and degrowth. through
1: all of human history, we've been increasingly alienated from one another. So that's a big part of degrowth is let's reverse the alienation instead of encouraging it more and more. But in the 70s, there's one thinker in particular, the guy who like coined the term Nicholas georgescu Rogan. He was an economist, and his work, which was called The Entropy Law and the Economic Process, which basically the entropy law is... Like, things are finite. Mm. Like, there's only, like, we can't just keep growing the economy. Like, there's a finite system, so that growth is finite.
0: Yeah, I actually had a good quote by him. Okay. It's describing that, if you, if you don't mind me reading it. I don't mind. So, this is a quote from him in 1971. He said, Infinite material growth is unsustainable due to the irreversibility of the transformation of energy into matter. The economy is a system embedded in the biosphere a Mm bioeconomy. Even with recycling, no technical process will be able to totally eliminate the entropic aspects of the extraction and transformation of resources as industrial societies absorb gigantic injections of polluting and non-renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And I felt kind of, uh, kind of proud when he was talking about entropy and just this, uh, the general increase of chaos that comes with consumption and industrialized production, because I was like, I had the idea. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say, I had that idea in like uh, in high school when I was learning about entropy. I was like, "This is what's happening with society." Yeah. Um, and I, I like when um, in science and in theory and in academics in general, they take a term which is typically used in one domain and use mm-hmm. it in another one, like entropy from chemistry, using it now for like uh, economics, basically.
1: Yeah, that's like what the degrowth movement is. It's a bunch of historians, socialists, economists. All getting together and saying the future isn't going to be solved with, by greening the economy. The future isn't going to be solved by socialism. It's going to be solved by everything working together, taking the best out of everything, making it a degrown society. Two more things with the history of degrowth. One is since 2008, there have been a few conferences, which is the first time that degrowth thinkers have kind of organized themselves. Because everyone we've talked to in the degrowth like society, there have all been of different backgrounds. So they like getting together and ideating. And I read a list of things that were proposed, I think almost literally for the first time, at this one conference in 2010 in Barcelona. And it's like, one of the things where it's like, what would I have given to be there? Like, It seems like it was just like a explosion of ideas. When you
0: were 11, you mean?
1: Yeah, 11-year-old me. And I was like, this is so good because a lot of the... Climate conferences are just like, so we need to limit warming to two degrees. We need to, not that those are.
0: Well, they're just not very creative.
1: Yeah, it's just like very important to know the facts and figures. But these are just like idea conferences, basically. So promotion of local currencies, transition to nonprofit and small scale companies, increase of local commons and support of participative approaches and decision making reducing working hours and facilitation of volunteer work, reusing empty housing and co-housing, introduction of the basic income, limitation of the exploitation of natural resources and preservation of biodiversity, so on and so on. Like, they're just a bunch of ideas that they just, like, came up with.
0: I love lists. Yeah. Because I think some (laughs) magic is lost when you talk about something for 47 minutes. Yeah. I just like lists.
1: Yeah. So there's just so many cool ideas that came out of this conference or were... Put together at this conference to create kind of a manifesto of degrowth, and all these ideas, super good, I would say. <laughs> well,
0: they they've gone on to shape the discourse. Yes. So obviously it was ahead of its time a little bit.
1: Yeah, like at the bottom of the list, this is just from the Wikipedia page. It said the Barcelona conference had little influence in the world economic and political order. And then it goes on to talk about a bunch of the criticisms of degrowth. But I was like, yeah, in 2010 maybe it did have some limitations, but literally. In our four years at university, I remember when you take um, international development courses, over the course of those four years, when you started out, it was very, it was still a bit like colonialist of we're going to go, we're going to help develop these developing countries. And then by the end of the four years, it was basically like, ah, that's colonialism, Uh, we need to collaborate, like basically say a bunch of these ideas that were had in 2010 in like 2018, were kind of when they started to come to the foreground in, academics and in political discord. Yeah. Degrowth. Cool thing. And there's fortunately for us, been a lot of papers written on it in the last 20 years, the first 30 years of the movement, I feel like it was very, it was just kind of giving a word to this set of ideas. Mm. But then in the two thousands, it's been a bit more, there's people who are specifically like yeah. degrowth thinkers. Well, in a,
0: in a way, maybe I would say it started out cultural, Mm-hmm. 70s hippies yes had to go through perhaps an academic stage mm-hmm. or just did and that was again becoming cultural mm-hmm. that might be that be some way of putting it
1: yeah going back to the history of degrowth which i hadn't really looked into in a couple of years i was reminded of a lot of the things that kind of led me to it okay which were some critiques of it and some associated movements some would say because I think it's called Buen Vivre, which is like a Spanish, I think, movement. Yeah,
0: it sounds like it just means good living or good wife. Yeah,
1: but that's like a movement that started in the 20th century and it's really associated with degrowth and a lot of their ideas that come with it. And there's a few different ones. Yeah. So maybe, I know this isn't really a question, but I kind of want to look into them because I haven't looked into them in a long time. Of
0: course. So all the different, uh, all the different degrowth movements that aren't called degrowth, yeah. Because I'm sure there are hundreds because it doesn't take a genius, I think, to look at the world today and be like, we need walkability, we need mm-hmm. community, this is wrong with economics, this is wrong with life, we're all sad. Yes. Like that, <laughs> and, um, and there are many civilizations and societies that were doing things right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good place to start anyway. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good question for next week.
1: Excellent. So, if you folks have any questions feel free to email us. Our emails are in the description. I had a question for you, but then I forgot it. So hopefully <laughs> I'll remember for it. For the listeners? The next. Yeah. That's a good idea. Oh, yeah. Well. I'll come up with um, it by next week. <laughs>
0: if you want to learn more about our thoughts on degrowth or read some of our writing on it, we actually made a zine. Yeah. Which has essays, poetry, some photos, some arts, things like that. Mm-hmm. And you can find that through the link in the description. Mm-hmm. Also email us. Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.